Hello, and welcome to Business Without Bullshit. I'm Andy Ori, and alongside me is my co-host, Pippa Sturt. Hi, Andy. And today we are joined by Henry Bellani. Hello, Henry. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Excellent. <laughs> you sounded slightly, hello, a little bit <laughs> nervous there. I was, I was slightly upset with my own silly voice. That's why I sort of stalled, to, stalled there. I was like, do I really do this intro in such yeah, a do. bizarre, like, uh, anyway, is it working? No. It's fine. Yeah, oh, okay, it's, good. it's fine. It's good. So, uh, Henry, tell, tell us a little bit uh, about yourself. Uh, I mean, what, what are you mainly uh, keeping yourself busy with at the moment? Sure, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me on in the first place. Yeah, no, pleasure. A um, couple of different things. I work with the organization called Encompass, and I would say it's a uh, technology firm, regulatory technology firm, that's really focused around helping banks figure out the bad guy. So we have to call that reg tech now, reg right? Reg tech, exactly. Reg tech. Exactly. So that's, as opposed to fintech, you hear lots about fintech and so on, and that's all good. They focus on the payment side. We focus on the regulatory side. So in other words, we're trying to keep banks out of trouble by making sure that they're compliant, and we provide the technology to help them do that. Now, how do we do that, you may ask. Let me tell you how we do that. Cool, we're not even needed. <laughs> I like it. So you do subtitles. There we go. Yeah, no, so the idea is this, right? So ultimately, when you and I and go to a bank and we set up an account, they need to know who you are. So it's more than just, you know, hello, Philippa, how are you? And uh, you open up a bank account. Andrew, how will you open a bank account? I need more than that. I need my, I need your documentation. I need to know where you're from. I need to know your address. I need to see a utility bill. That's all known as KYC, know your customer. And the idea is that you want to be able to at least assess the risk of that particular individual. Now, three of us here are basically, you know, ordinary individuals. We, you know, we, we, we work, we pay taxes, we've got records about us paying taxes. And, uh, you know, we do all the normal stuff that, uh, that you do as a, uh, as a regular employee or a, uh, you know, somebody that's trying to earn legit money. The challenge, though, is that you're going to have lots of other folks out there that are not so, you know, honest and, and uh, law-abiding as we are. And so the, the issue becomes, how do you find out who those other individuals are? So now take that and move that up to the corporate level, businesses, right? So yeah. you and I can walk into a bank and set up a bank account. But what also happens is that uh, corporations set up bank accounts too. And corporations set up bank accounts for a variety of purposes, obviously to, to fund their, uh, their business transactions, receive, and et cetera. We all, we all know the basics around that. But the issue also becomes, because of corporations, they are not like you and I. They don't exist as a person. But we treat them as a person. And so the issue now becomes we need to get all the relevant documentation, articles of incorporation, um, how long you've existed as a business, uh, what you do, tax records, et cetera, et cetera. So again, that sounds fairly logical, straightforward, and so forth. But the challenge now becomes how do I know that you as a business, you don't have other connections, you may have other divisions, other um, groups, whatever the case may be, that may be out of this country, overseas. You may have a company that you set up in the Caribbean. You may have a company that you set up in, say, in, in Asia, whatever the case may be, it doesn't matter where it is. But the problem is you don't tell me about it. And so you go off and set up a bank account and you realize that, oops, actually, you know what? I should have done further investigation, due diligence, as, as, they, as they call it in the industry. And so the idea there is that we actually help them with that due diligence process so that if this company comes along and says, I'm ABC company and I operate here in London, I provide professional services, accounting, prof uh, and law services, whatever the case may be, it now becomes, I cannot accept that at face value. 
Because I may realize that, you know, at some point in time, an investigator may come along, an auditor may come along and say, well, did you know that this particular ABC company has an affiliation to XYZ company in some other part of the world? Oops, I didn't know that. But, you know, as lawyers and accountants, we're probably the next people down from banks in terms of making sure the KYC is right, partly because people like to try and carry out frauds and launder money through solicitors' firms and accounting practices. Solicitors' firms, I think, probably more than accounting practices because we don't, we as, as lawyers aren't particularly good Fraudsters with money. Fraudsters need us, basically, put yeah. it that way. We're a really important piece of their trust chain. You know, what we have to do is exactly what you're describing, go back and identify the ultimate beneficial owners of businesses. And as soon as you have an international company, it's an absolute bloody nightmare. What, what, what do you think about the lack of transparency in America and, you know, in... in well, various countries. My understanding of the, the rules of the engagement were that limited companies were limited because the the balance sheet was public. That was sort of the deal. Everyone got to know, you know, how, how big my trousers are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, publicly before they did. Anyway, whatever. But uh, you get my analogy. But, Terrible analogy. Uh, yeah. That's a great analogy. I just have to it. imagine a <laughs> little bit. Your trousers yeah, are. well, yeah. Anyway. I got that ultra night now. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> what do you think about transparency? What do you think about transparency? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 challenging all over the world. Okay, I'm not going to pick on a particular country. I'm from the US, by the way. I'm from Chicago. They're the worst. Yeah. Yeah, you guys then, can't get anything Again, I'm not going to pick on a particular city or country. Worse. They're, they're more, they're, they're places are all around the world, right? Yeah. I mean, you hear, you hear, again, I'm a guest in this country right now, but you've heard references like London Grad, yeah. for example. Yeah, yeah. London, uh, what? Oh, uh, we're terrible. <laughs> you, in the US, the same thing. Because if I'm a crook, I'm a money launderer, where am I going to park my money? You think I'm going to park my money where I made, where I actually generated the income? Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. I'm going to park it in a safe place where there's rule of law, there's, you know, there's professional services firms that can protect me, like lawyers and accountants that can protect me in terms of, uh, you know, potential challenges to the money that I, 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 I've... You know, either uh, stolen or bribed or whatever it may be, and so the, so when you look at transparency, you have jurisdictions that actually create these things called shell companies. Again, you have to, you know, most of us are familiar with the concept of shell company, whereby you create a company that really doesn't do anything. All it does is really has a nominee director. In other words, a person that is in name only for that particular company and does nothing else because I then take that company and then use that to open up the bank account. So going back to our story, but in terms of, you know, when you walk into a bank, I've got the proper documentation, I've got a company that's set up. And as a bank officer, as long as, do- as, long as the documentation is all clear, it seems legit and so forth, you go open up the bank account and voila, now I've got access to the UK financial system, the Western financial system, and it can start to my money around. That's the problem. And how how do you guys solve that problem? Because, you know, having at times tried to KYC kind of really big companies, you end up, oftentimes you end up in trusts. You end up with a load of trusts and nobody, you know, the trustees will not tell you who the beneficiaries of that trust are. You have no way of finding out from there. You're just done. Do you guys solve that problem? How do you, how do you work? It is a challenge. So here's, here's how we go about solving the problem. The, rea- the reality is that at some point in time, you can only go so far. What we do is we take all these different registers. So like, for example, information about a company in the UK is typically listed in company's house, yeah. for example, right? So you got all the information in company's house. But there's also information about public companies in, say, the London Stock Exchange listings. On in New York, you've got the New York Stock Exchange listings. You've got different registrars. You've got Delaware. You've got you know, all these different countries around the world that have these various company registrars. 
And mm. we smush them all together. That's a technical word, term. Right? technical yeah. term. We smush them all together. And what we try and do is then at least give you the visualization of the international companies, right? Because what you just talked about, uh, Philippa, was international companies are a murder. It's challenging. Mm. And so what we try and do is at least give them that representation. We take all these different data sources, put them all together, match and merge logic that they call it, a.k.a. smooshing, and then give you that visualization of what that looks like. And you can go click around and, and see ultimately that beneficial owner of that particular corporation. The boss is from Australia, isn't he? Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, right. yeah. That's right. yeah they, they, they started on Australia because, uh, you know, they, they, their, their background was that where they were trying to set up a, uh, they provided some money into an investment opportunity, they got scammed, fraud, and said, crap. I mean, why didn't we do our due diligence before that? And so that's the reason why they set up the company. And it makes total sense at the end of the day. The point is this, right? You can get to the answer, whether there is an answer or not, faster. It's all about the automation of yeah, that process. Yeah, yeah. That's really the key, right? Philippa, would you like to spend like three days trying to figure out, well, actually, you know, I can't get to that, that, that beneficial owner. Or would you like to spend three minutes to get yeah. to that same point? So let's, let's go back to your sort of slightly early life, mm. what was your first proper job? My first proper job. So I went to university in London and during the summer, I got an internship in Istanbul, Turkey, working for a company called Hoffman La Roche. And that was fabulous. Working for who? Hoffman La Roche? Hoffman La Roche. It's a Swiss oh. pharmaceutical. Hoffman La Roche. Hoff. Hoffman La Roche. Sounds like a champagne company. <laughs> I was like, he, got, he went for a champagne. Man. It's a big Swiss pharma company. Brilliant. Yeah, Brilliant. yeah. And uh, they wanted to introduce a few pharmaceuticals in, in Turkey. And they asked me to do a market analysis of that. Had a ton of fun. Yeah, wow. I mean, this is in Turkey, for God's sake. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, no, it was great. I mean, I learned a lot. I learned the culture. I learned the people. Uh, another shout out to a, a student group called Isaac, A-I-E-S-E-C. IESEC is a French acronym, but the idea is that it's all about students interested in economics and commerce. We do internships all over the place. So my first internship was in Istanbul. My second internship was in Chicago. And that's how I ended up in Chicago. Students effectively interested in business almost. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. Less, exactly. You know, it's incredible how business isn't really taught at school. Like, I know that, I, I know it's sort it's of maybe is a bit, too, yeah. yeah, yeah, at a later stage of life, but... I don't know, if you're going to see, teach it at that later stage, is it not from an earlier stage understanding sort of the basics of, because you would maybe don't call it business when they're Finance, younger. yeah. yeah. They're how to open up a bank account, you know, what's a credit card and what's, you know, those kind of things. You should learn that early for sure. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, it's uh, it's interesting because this is a student organization. We went all internships abroad and all over the place, all over the world. If I went to a company in the UK and raised an internship, I was rewarded by going to, I could apply for an internship someplace else. Mm. So, if you got the travel bug, which I did, Istanbul was fantastic. Chicago was second. My wife from the same group as well. She went to Warsaw and then she went to Copenhagen. Hang on, hang on. So is there like there's an intern train? Once you get on the intern train, you just get you never get around. off. You never get you off. Just right. keep I'm still around. on it. I'm still on it. What? And everyone pays for you, and it's like. Well, no, you get. I mean, you work. I mean, they pay you a, a salary, but it's like a pathetic salary. It, it, it's great fun when you're young, but you absolutely. wouldn't do it at a later. Yeah, level. I wouldn't do it now. Absolutely not. What yeah. was it about Chicago that? It was the place for you. Um, I, I love technology and uh, a little bit of a geek in terms of new new stuff. And back then, again, I'm, date, I'm dating myself. This goes back to about the early 90s. And uh, back then, it's like the United States. Wow. I mean, the mecca of, of technology. 
I managed to get the job there. It just was a, with a, again another shout out to a, uh, a professional services firm called Anderson Consulting, now Accenture, used to be part of something called Arthur Anderson. And um, they say come along and 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 take part in this one and a half year internship. So I did. Uh, your your career is is what always been in finance, basically. It's technology, basically, technology. It, but applied to finance. Of sure, te- yeah. technology applied to finance. Yeah, yeah. What do you, what did you study in technology originally? Well, I was I, I got a degree in economics from the LSE here. Oh, okay. No, no, no. But economics, I would think of as is a finance thing more than a technology. No, no, no. Just yeah, don't yeah, understand. Yeah. But yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And and of those, is there anything that you sort of regret or you feel you 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 would have done differently in retrospect? In terms of uh, a, a career, your career in your career, I love teaching. You love teaching. I love teaching. But when I started out my professional services career, I found out how much they got paid and said, screw that, I'm going to consulting instead. <laughs> so I went to the consulting smart. industry. Actually very smart. <laughs> yeah. The holidays though, they get the holidays. That's the upside. Oh, well, uh, holidays are one thing, but the, the opportunity to travel, again, going back to the travel bug stuff. You know, it, when I when I joined Anderson Consulting, you know, it's great. I moved into professional services. I said, this is what I want to do. And I managed to get travel all over, all over the world. And have you still got the travel bug? Yep, I'm here, aren't I? Yeah, true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, very true. I'm heading to Singapore and Bangkok next week. Okay. And I'm shaking, taking a bunch of students. I'm teaching now, by the way. Oh, okay. I'm also doing that. And what are you teaching? International management. International management. Is that different from national management? Absolutely. Oh, really? National management is in within the within the country. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you yeah, can yeah. make fun of you. But it's, I teach a MBA program, an executive MBA program in Chicago, mm-hmm. in the University of Chicago. And um, we bring our students around. Again, I'm doing this as an adjunct professor, not full-time. I'm just doing it because I enjoy it. I bring our students around to different countries. And so this year we're going to Bangkok and Singapore. Last year we were in uh, Zurich and Madrid. The year before that we were in Panama. So, you know, it's Party time, man. It Absolutely. sounds fabulous. Absolutely. Yeah. And how did you end up with Encompass? Are they a startup? Are they... they have been around for about eight years. Right. And it's, it's a not. Yes, yeah, it's, it's well. Yeah, I guess it depends on how you look at it. technology. That's that's a lifetime. Yeah, uh, it's not a startup. It's a scale up. Yeah, right? that's the label. I mean, they use these labels, but scale up really means that you've actually gone past the initial embryonic stage. Where mm-hmm. am I going to survive? We we are surviving absolutely. Not only are we surviving, we're growing. And so the idea is, uh, you know, keep expanding. So how did I get into it? A colleague of mine from a previous company uh, said, look, you know, I need some help here. I was in London. I was in a previous company where we actually were fortunate that we sold the company to a larger firm. So I uh, bought out and uh, started working in the blockchain consulting in arena. Another story. But the idea was that, well, you come along and help us out because we need some expertise. People know how to do it. And I joined Encompass about three years ago, full time. And what uh, what do you find most difficult about your role? The uh, the understanding of why we do what we do, because it's sometimes you know Philippe, you you get it, Felipe, right? Obviously, mm. because you live that experience in terms of uh, needing to onboard and okay, so forth. What? Yeah. See? Makes me cry. Exactly, you you got it right. Absolutely, it's it's <sighs> it's, it's a challenge. So it's uh, it again, it gets so dull and dry and dreary sometimes. It's, it's something that I have to do. Take the box The word exercise. compliance strikes fear into the heart of most people. You say the sentences, they do not go into people's brain. Like, for, for it's changed with the technology, but for 20 years, you'd say to someone, okay, so I need the original, the wet ink signature. You're going to need to hand print it. You're going to have to print it out. You're going to think I was a post-it. That's what I need. Okay, no problem. You get an email a minute later with a scan of it. There you go, Andrew. And you're like, I, and you, you say it to them again. Oh, no, I've got it. I understand. 
understand. And it, it's like, I don't, yeah, maybe it's the compliance it's thing. Not, they just you know, go the deaf. The thing that I always get, and it's, things have kind of got a bit better since lockdown, actually, because we had to come up with a solution for lockdown. But before that, it was always, I either need a certified copy of your passport and a recent utility bill, or I need to see you in person with those documents so that I can look at your passport and look at you and make sure you're the same person. Makes sense. But people used to get so annoyed about having to actually rock up or having to go to a local professional services person and get a certified copy. And if it's a foreign company, then you've got to get a apostilled or notified or whatever in whichever jurisdiction. And people used to just hate it. Whereas now, because of a lockdown and everything, we've kind of got to a place now where we will meet somebody on Zoom and they hold up their passport. And it's exactly the same. Actually, we'd worked it out before, um, ago, a while before, because the law says you must have a face-to-face meeting with your client. And that's what it is, we decided. We're having a face-to-face meeting. Not 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 shoulder to shoulder, but you know. Well, but you got technology now with biometrics and you got that, that kind of stuff makes it oh, even yeah. easier, right? So Much it's easier. like I'll take a look at you, I'll look at your bone structure, I'll look at you know, you I do an iris scan. Yeah. It turns out if you're an identical twin, which I am. Oh really? That doesn't always work. Wow. Okay. So my sister opens my iPhone all the time. What do you think is the biggest challenge then faces the business? Our business? I think it's really just continue to grow and adapt to regulations because regulations keep changing all the time. And there's things like, you know, what's happening in the crypto industry, what's happening in, you know, new new, new channels of money laundering and being able to adapt quickly to these types of things. Because the minute compliance is all about process and procedures. And then you have a new threat of money laundering coming along, a new channel of money laundering going on. And then having to adapt to that. Yeah. We, we get calls now, it's like, you know, what do we do with Bitcoin? What do we do with crypto and well, so what forth? What do you do with Bitcoin? Oh, that's, that's a whole, whole bunch of stuff. You got to <laughs> Hide. 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 There you go. Yes. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of stuff. But the point is, you know, answering your question as to what is uh, the challenge, it's really adapting to, to technology, adapting to regulations, and making sure it's fit for purpose. What do you think is most misunderstood about what you do? Misunderstood. What is, yeah, yeah, what's hardest to get across to people? Yeah, it's the need to be able to do this. Like you just pointed out, why why do I need this documentation? Why are you asking me all of this? Right, because the person on the street doesn't really think about these kind of concepts, KYC, compliance, and so forth. And so the idea is trying to make it as simple and as easy as possible. Now, COVID for all, it's, I mean, it's, it's, the pandemic has been terrible. No, don't get me wrong. But now we've learned how to use technology to verify each other. You gave the example of holding out the passport in front of Zoom and so forth. I mean, that's that's definitely an alternative to face-to-face, but there are better ways about doing that even beyond just holding out the passport. And so the point now becoming that it, we need to make it as simple as possible, as frictionless as possible, to use an industry term. What, what do you think is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh, boy. Best piece of advice. I think being patient. When you're young, it's uh, you know something that. What do you mean you can't do this? What do you mean you can't do that? It's being patient and just understanding what's around you. Because at the end of the day, it's really really hard for us to flip on a dime. And if you 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 think in a certain way, especially as you get older, you know you you you're set in your certain ways, and you know this is the only way I can do it. And uh, trying to adapt, and you need to be able to understand that this is the challenges that people face. And trying to be flexible is, is I think, the, the key here. And you have to be patient in order to be flexible. You've got to be patient in order to be flexible. Yeah, not react too quickly. Yeah, I like it. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Ori 
Clark got its start back in 1935 And while the world has changed a bit, it's more than just survived From complying with the FCA and all things financy They can also speak fluently in the language of legalese Aubrey Clark was born and raised right here in the UK And now for 20 years they've been helping others get set up and on their way Aubrey Clark's door's always open and happy to provide Straight, talking, financial and legal advice since 1935 Big shout out to Sean Veer Singh for a stellar jingle You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music on Instagram And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review, please, on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. What are you most excited about for the business? The end of the day, I think it's, you know, how can we continue to expand? I mean, it's it's a trite answer. It's like, of course we want to expand. Of course we want to get this going. But I think it's like what we can offer is a real thing. Because, you know, if I could make your life easier, Philippa, instead of taking three days and you do it in, you know, I said 10 minutes, okay, I exaggerate. But let's say do it in 10, 15 minutes. You can go off and do something that's a little bit more productive. I mean, we're not some brainless, mindless zombies here that we have to do these. Speak for yourself. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to be that. I mean, you want to, you want to have a nice, productive life and to go off and do stuff that this you want is, to do. This uh, is the wonderful concept that people are like, um, yeah, but what if the machines take everyone's job? Which is a complete misunderstanding about, you know, the limits of human creativity. It's like, there's an endless amount of stuff we can do. You know, you could learn the guitar if you've got nothing to do. I mean, it's just like, it's infinite what we're capable of. And if you can get rid of the shit, great, you know. Exactly, exactly. I mean, technology helped us to reduce travel. Well, pandemic definitely cut, cut that travel point down. And I started learning the guitar. Did you? Yep. How's it going? <laughs> Terrible. Yeah. Oh, but it's the best instrument. <laughs> oh, totally. I got an electric guitar with it. With Don't the, with the, yeah, absolutely. So it's like, uh, what did I do? Um, uh, you know, there's a classic, um, uh, what's that song here? Uh, smoke, smoke on the Water. Thank you. My first card. I can get that part down and that's it. Smoke on the Water. It's about some gig in Montreal or Switzerland or that's the first deeper. course I learned. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone's first because it's the first time you can like feel like a proper rock. Can you guy. play any other instruments? Not really. No. So this is like a proper. Yeah, or you do what I do, venture. which is you buy all the Led Zeppelin's music and then find out their music's really complicated. Absolutely. <laughs> Except that song. So, turns out he was really, really good at the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> top three reads, pods. Music. Oh, top three reads. Okay. It doesn't have to be top three. We're well, yeah. playing the guitar now, so we could have some music. Well, maybe. no. <laughs> I put that guitar on the side and it's now collecting dust. Yeah, but you must have a favorite rock band. <laughs> favorite rock band? Oh, boy. Uh, Led Zeppelin is up there. Yeah. Uh, probably the Eagles. Nice. Uh, okay, Eagles got to be the Eagles. Uh, do you think? Do you yeah. It's good because Hotel California is quite easy to learn to play. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I tried that too. And, uh, I mean, is, is it really just American? I think it's quite popular everywhere. It just, it's, a, it's an archetypal American sound though, isn't it? You maybe, but it's an enormous famous song. You know, it's like as famous as it gets. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean it's like the Queen. It's another one. Queen, yeah, good likes one. Queen. Uh, podcasts or reads or yeah, reads. Um, again, getting my wonk out, wonkiness out here. It's I just finished reading a book by a chap by the name of Bill Browder. Yeah, Bill Browder. Now, uh, Bill Browder uh, wrote wrote something called the uh, Freezing Order. 
He also he's previously wrote a book called uh, Red Russian Notice. Russian guy, right? Exactly. Yeah. He's not the Russian he's guy. He's not yet. Russian, yeah, but yeah, yeah. he, he is a, hated by Russia. Yes, he's hated by Russia. He was born in Loved America. Loved by us. Is yes. that like him? Yeah, yeah he much. became a UK citizen. Yeah. And uh, he set up a, a hedge fund in, in, in Moscow, made tons of money. And there was this uh, tax fraud. Uh, and there was a whole bunch of corruption going on. And it was fascinating to see how, how he worked through all of that. He was responsible for something called the Magnitsky Act. Yeah. Have you heard of that one? Yes. Magnitsky Act? Okay, so. No, well, I haven't, no. All right, so no. let me let me tell you what the Magnitsky Act is. Let her tell us what we need. All right, go no, for no, it. No, 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 go no, 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 no. <laughs> I just, uh, yeah, what if you want? No, 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 no. no, no, no. So, Man- Man- he's our Man- guest. He's got a very relaxing voice, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> so Magnitsky was a lawyer for who represented Bill Browder. And because there was this um, this tax fraud that happened in in Russia, it was about two hundred thirty million dollars, give or take. And there's this whole scheme whereby he was accused. Bill Browder ended up being accused of uh, tax fraud, but the reality is he paid for the tax. He paid the tax, but they set up uh, dummy companies uh, and intercepted that tax, and then they took that and ran with the money. So it's like a, oh, and he got done for tax. He got done for tax exactly. Oh, what a ball egg. And um, Magnitsky was saying, look, this is unfair and so forth. He represented him and there was all this back and Did forth. Did he end up falling he, he out of window? Or no, something? he didn't fall out of window. It's worse. I mean, he was actually in uh, in detention. They starved him for attention. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, he died because of, you know, there was lack of attention in terms of his medical condition. And so that was that was a problem. So he ended up at the end of the day... Um, Running around, Bill Browder that was saying, I have to avenge this. I have to make sure that uh, there's a law on the books whereby if you abuse human rights, you have the right to be able to sanction uh, those individuals. And so the U.S. set up the Magnitsky Act, the UK, uh, Canada set up the U- U- equivalent Magnitsky Act. Most European countries have this Magnitsky Act. And, and so we it, have London Grad. And, yeah. what, what, what's London Grad, a version of that? As in, for a long time, I mean, we've started sanctioning people, but for a long time, London was the place to come if you were a Russian oligarch with slightly dodgy, you know, history because you wouldn't get sanctioned in the same way as you would in the US. Because of the, it's the offshore havens is my understanding how it works. Is what you're talking about. Yeah, well, this Magnitsky Act specifically is human rights abuse. Did they specifically find someone's name who's really difficult to pronounce? It's a, Magnitsky. It's, oh, it's, he's, he's, I need he's to see it written down. <laughs> yeah. That's okay when you get it, when you get yeah, it, yeah. Magnitsky. All right, it's say that a cool time. name, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that leads me to my second book, which is um, which I finished reading just recently as well, Moneyland by a chap named Oliver Bullough. And so he wrote this book on Moneyland and he was a reporter. He was living in Russia as well. And exactly what you describe. I mean, you've got all this uh, property in central London and uh, it's empty and it's owned by these Russian oligarchs. What happened? How did, how, how did that end up happening? Either that or uh, very rich Indians in Mayfair. It's, it's, it's the common, you know, these huge buildings. I mean, those houses are all sort of 50 million and stuff like that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being rich. As long as you can demonstrate where you got your source of wealth, yeah. it's clean. I mean, business people, I mean, that's what but that, capitalism but, but, is. But, but but they would have gone through KYC checks. Absolutely. And and oligarchs would pass because they've got an address and an ID. And are we supposed to, at that point, say, and not of that money, it wasn't illegal, they privatized all the state stuff. Everyone thinks it's now a heinous crime, but at the time, it's just what they did. Yeah, I mean, rules and rules change over time, and that's part of the challenge. There's a great podcast, if you haven't listened to it, called London Grad. Okay, interesting, okay. Which is Tortoise Media, which is about Lebedev. 
Okay. You seem to have a particular interest in Russia or just coincidence? No, it's, it's, it's just the news of the day, quite honestly. Yeah. I mean, they're, 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 you know, money launders everywhere. <laughs> so yeah. it just happens to be the news of the day. I mean, that's, uh, we'll, we'll see but what the next... But it's also really interesting, I think. You know, in the Western world, we haven't for quite a long time had that kind of blatant corruption. I mean, we all talk oh, about... Oh, that we know of. That we know, that we know of. I mean, we all talk about corruption the whole time, but we don't sort of think of, you know, we would be probably shocked if we found out how much there was. Whereas you look at states like Russia and you kind of go, wow. All the oligarchs own, you know, sort of all the kind of utilities and things like that. And they're just siphoning off all the money. Yeah. You know, that is stolen it's, political it's, money. It's, that's what it's all it's about. It's blessed by the, by, the, by the government, right? And that's called a kleptocracy, another, another term for you. Yeah. And so that's, that's what's happening, right? So there's the illegal, there's bad sources of money. And then you have these, uh, these uh, corrupt uh, politicians yeah. that are taking bribe money. That's corrupt money. That's something called predicate crime for money laundering. So these so different sources of money that are bad, then they can be used uh, for a criminal prosecution. Okay, so that brings us to the favourite part of the show. Very good, Henry. Thank you very much. Not bad for a Monday. We just about cranked up the energy. So now we have our business versus bullshit quick fart round. D, cue the music. This is where we're going to reel off some terms. You've got to tell us whether you think they are business or bullshit. Henry, are you clear with the rules? That's all I can say, business or bullshit? Yeah. I mean, you can say other stuff as well. Okay, that's yes. yeah. Yeah. And if you're not entirely sure, you can say biz shit. What? Biz shit. Whole biz shit. business off bullshit. Oh, that's too easy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, diversity quotas. Ah, uh, boy. That's a tough one. I... Bullshit up to a certain extent. Bullshit up to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can go too far in terms of diversity. Diversity in terms of what, right? So you got a you got a crooked toenail, so that's diverse. You got a uh, you know it's you got the physical attributes typically. That's what we look at diversity. But there's more than just that, right? You got the uh, sexual orientation. I get that. But how far do you take diversity, and how far do you start to apply those in terms of uh, quarters? And that's a bit of a challenge. Stand-up meetings. Business. Yeah? Yeah, I think that's good. And I think it's a... What is a stand-up meeting? It's basically before... We're sitting down on the podcast, chit-chatting away and so forth. How much work are we actually getting done? Eh, you know, you, you can debate that. But if I'm standing up, I've got a quick meeting. Let's talk about what the issues are. Boom, 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 boom. Do you boom, have them? What, standing, no, yeah, absolutely. Physically standing. Physically standing, absolutely. Where, what, you go into your mate's office or something and you, well, I mean, he if, stands if, up when you go in, do you? And you if it's stand. a project, it was typically internal team meetings. It's a project. They're looking at no I feel like you just want people to stand up when you come in a room. It's just <laughs> this is what it's like. This Everyone what's... uses this phrase, and what they mean is a quick meeting. They, they, it doesn't seem to be any rules about the chairs, whereas you'd have to remove. There must, there should be a room with like no, you know, chairs. no chairs, no chairs. I'm sure that. Well, the thing is, you crowd around a, a whiteboard or something, right? You're talking about some some project or whatever. That's a room without any chairs, and you're standing up and you're getting stuff done. As opposed yeah. to sitting down and looking at it and contemplating back and forth. I don't have time for that. Let's get the project done. Uh, caffeine. Caffeine bullshit. Cool. Yeah. Yep. That's quick, fast. We had a nice cup of tea, though. You know. could, well, tea's got caffeine in it yeah, too, yeah, so yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. I mean, I prefer tea over coffee. Me okay, too. And I'm going to get crucified for saying no, all no, this. no. Totally but, with uh, you. We're but, British. Yeah, tea. But no, caffeine. I mean, it's. 
I, I, you get hooked on it, right? It's a drug in some ways. Can, can you wean it off of it? I think you can eventually wean off of it. There's other stuff that you can look She's forward such to. Such a bitch. I get like one week, <laughs> the most productive week of my life when I go back on coffee. I'm like, I feel incredible. And then like week two, it's like 50% of that and then nothing. And then an addiction. Week three, you're putting it into straight yeah, into your veins. Exactly. Week three, like 11, <laughs> you're like, oh, I need to hit again. I need to hit again. Anyway, um, meeting agendas. Good. Uh, bo- um, what was the other one? Bullshit versus uh, business. Business. Yes. Business. <laughs> yes. uh, hour-long meetings. Bishit. Bishit. Okay. Oh, fair yeah. uh, office dogs. Uh, bullshit. Yeah. Where is he? Stop here. I had to go to a restroom. Yeah. Nowadays, you see a lot of uh, you know uh, friendly environments where you bring your dog into work and so forth, and uh, you know it's like, oh, what a nice dog, and it's pet, 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 and so on. Uh, I never grew up with dogs. My family doesn't like dogs, and I'm personally not a dog person. Glad I didn't bring the dog. <laughs> <laughs> Carbon credits. Um, Biz shit, and here's why. Right? It's it's an, it's a good concept. Is the idea of being able to at least offset uh, what you do with carbon credits, but the calculation of carbon credits is still an issue. How do I know that what I'm offsetting in terms of carbon credit actually realizes, uh, you know, actually is equivalent to what I'm putting Who's back checking in? Checking that Who's checking? Doing exactly. It? It's, yeah. I, I think it's a good concept. We still need to work our ways out. We need some auditors. It sounds like. Absolutely. I think that's there. We go. That's a good uh, mm-hmm. good good opportunity for you right yeah. there. Swearing in meetings. Swearing in meetings, bullshit entirely. Bullshit entirely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Why do you need to swear in a meeting? Well, you just said bullshit, so... (laughs) Well, you asked me to use those terms, so I'm using those terms. I know, it's a bit of a trick question. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, You know, I, I I I would strongly say this, never swear in writing. Like, swearing in writing, in emails and stuff, it basically doesn't work at all. If you take all the swear words out after you've told them that, fuck, take the swear words, it's a really powerful message. Put Go blank yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Pub lunches. Pub lunches. That's fun for once in a while. Yeah. But do you get a lot of business done there? Or sure you can. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Yeah, good answer. Uh, B Corps. You know what these are? No, no, don't want B Corps. <sighs> Let's, let's just say it's bullshit then, to be honest. <laughs> they're, they're, they're bullshit to explain. Um, non-disclosure agreements. Uh, bullshit. You can't enforce it. Yeah. It's uh, great. I mean, it's, it's, it deters you. I mean, it's, NDAs are always used to prevent you from sharing information. you got something to hide. Otherwise, why give an NDA? Yeah. yeah. You could protect yourself, but then you need a whole bunch of lawyers. But it's always going to come down to who has the biggest, um, <laughs> hang on, business. Thank you. <laughs> well recovered. Uh, unlimited holidays. Bullshit. I mean, I don't get that. I mean, what, what does unlimited holidays actually mean? What, so you show up the first day of work and you never come back again? Oh, sounds great. <laughs> I'm up for that. LinkedIn. Uh, business, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's it's trending towards a little bit more of, a, of a, you know, like a Facebook type stuff nowadays. I've been on LinkedIn for a long, long, long time. And you see that, you know, you got these emotional, personal stories. Once in a while, it's interesting and so on, motivational stories. But it's really a professional networking platform. Why can't we keep it as such? Um, Thought leadership. Thought leadership. I think that's business. I think that's useful because uh, at the end of the day, you you need to think about future vision opportunities. It's difficult sometimes to understand what that what that means, what the concept is, but it's about trying and applying different things. That's what thought leadership is. Uh, Bitcoin. Bitcoin, I think it's business. Yeah? Business, absolutely. 
you know, when I first read the uh, the, the white paper, Nakoshi Satamo, uh, uh, na, um, Satoshi Nakamoto. Yeah, Satoshi Nakamoto. Thank you. Yeah. So I read his I read his uh, his uh, his white paper, and it's all about something called peer-to-peer payment yeah. systems, right? It's about me being able to pay somebody anywhere else in the world instantly, virtually in, instantly. Don't you know that Bitcoin's a bit old clunky technology and using up too much power and maybe... I mean, that, it's, remember the Bitcoin, the, the blockchain behind the Bitcoin, right? There's something called the blockchain that where you do, yeah. it's a ledger essentially. Yeah. Um, it, when the Bitcoin white paper was written, it wasn't designed to be that scalable, I mean, you needed energy in order to solve these complex mathematical problems because then you kept it secure and so forth. But the reality is that the you know the original writer of the paper, whoever that person is, we'll never know, uh, never really imagined the scale in which we were going to do this. Are there better play, are better ways of doing it? Absolutely. There's new and improved ways. Bitcoin blockchain is still an experiment, yeah, okay. and so uh, it just so happened to gain popularity, and that's think, where we are. Do you think um, companies should experiment in those? Absolutely, using, using totally. Bitcoin, yeah. Totally. No, no. Well, Bitcoin is just one cryptocurrency. So there are multiple. There are multiple cryptocurrencies out there. So ether, uh, ether they, they is one. Should, yeah. They shouldn't Filecoin, be yeah, concerned whole bunch of them, about yeah. you know the the anti money laundering risk and all this, that. Uh, every conference I go to is always an issue. They always talk about it, but it's something new and something we need to think at. The challenge at the end of the day is these cryptocurrencies are not issued by a central authority. And so the central authorities are concerned that they lose control of the money supply, which means that they cannot implement monetary policy, which means that they cannot you know, manage the economy. That scares them. It's yeah. a challenge. NFTs. Business. Really? You got yes. some? Yes, I got some. Yeah, yeah. And NFTs, again, you know, NFTs itself, all it is when you, when you really boil down to it, is a specific location on a blockchain, a specific address, a unique address that you can demonstrably prove that it's yours. It could be a representation of a piece of physical art, whatever it may be. It's all hyped, right? I mean, we, we, we think about the board monkey as one of those, uh, uh, board smoking monkey as one of those NFTs, and it's, it's highly valued now and so forth. The problem is that it's so overvalued and so overhyped we lose the understanding of why an NFT is so unique in the first place. It's a unique piece of thing that demonstrates that you have some right of ownership of a particular piece of the digital environment, and that's valuable. We need to still continue experimenting with that. Yeah, I like that. That's it. That's it. That's the end of the quiz. Congratulations. Um, so this is uh, where you, you've got 30 seconds to, well, tell us about your company or book or whatever whatever you like. Well, uh, let me talk about the company. Encompass Corporation, based in the UK, office in London, uh, global offices in Singapore, in, uh, in uh, uh, the Netherlands, in the US, New York specifically, with the goal of helping our banking clients be able to onboard their customers as efficiently as possible. The idea is to be able to reduce the amount of time, manual effort it takes to be able to accurately identify the ultimate beneficial owner. And at the end of the day, demonstrate back to regulators, look, we do this on a constant, regular, efficient basis, and chances are we'll get this uh, done correctly. The opportunity also exists to identify how quickly Instead of taking three hours, take three minutes or, or, or 10 minutes to be able to get to that next stage, free up resources so they can go off and do better things. Fantastic. So there we have it. 
That was this week's episode of Business Without Bullshit. Thank you very much, Henry. You've well, thank great. you. Thank you. This is, uh, this is very, very uh, interesting. enlightening. And, uh, okay, what is interesting? <laughs> but Andrew Philippa, thank you very much for this. I Pleasure. really enjoyed the opportunity. Thanks, Henry.